This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, August 5th, 2021. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include Apple Watch gets caught up on updates. Zoom will pay big for settling a class action lawsuit accusing it of lying about encryption and misusing user data. Attention Apple shoppers, the Apple Store tab is back. And we've got a look at iCloud Private Relay, Apple's new iCloud Plus feature coming to operating systems in the fall. Now, here are the hosts of the Indigo Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Indigo's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing really well. Today's number is 199. Doesn't that make you feel all warm and fuzzy that we're up to episode 199 that we're going to roll over the odometer next week? Yeah, that's that's actually pretty cool. Uh, 200's kind of a big number. It is. That means we're getting close to our technical four-year mark. And that'll be number 208. So we have two landmarks coming up, 200 next week and 208, which will probably be when we talk about the new iPhone. We're early August, and I'm thinking it's going to be early October or late September, I think, is when 208 would happen. So it'll probably be the week that Apple releases the iPhone. Thank you, Apple. That'll be a a cool four-year anniversary talking point. Yep. Okay, so we have one new update last week, and I found this one a bit surprising. It's watchOS 7.61, and... Just as we discussed last week, this is the same vulnerability where an application may be able to execute arbitrary code with kernel privileges. Now, when you think of the Apple Watch, you don't think of the same type of security vulnerabilities, but they're there because you can get email and messages on the Apple Watch. So if someone can access your Apple Watch, a number of people thought that this vulnerability is what that Pegasus spyware used. And if someone could get on your Apple Watch, they can get some of your data. They can get your email and your messages. If you make phone calls on your watch, which not too many people do, they could also listen in on those. And because this is probably a little bit less important to patch, I assume that's why it took Apple a little bit longer to come out with the patch for watchOS, why it didn't come out the same day as the iOS, iPadOS, and macOS updates. But of course, because a lot of the same technologies are built into all of these Apple operating systems, Apple did eventually need to make sure that they patched this on watchOS 2, even though it may be a little bit less likely to get exploited by this vulnerability. So make sure your watchOS is also up to date, uh, just like you've hopefully by now already updated your iOS, iPadOS, and macOS Big Sur devices. Okay, what are you going to do with the $15 or $25 that Zoom is going to send you? Ah, well, you know, I hadn't thought too much about it yet. I mean, that's, that is a lot of money. <laughs> That we could potentially be getting as a payout from this class action lawsuit. Yeah, so Zoom is going to have to pay $85 million for lying about encryption and sending data to Facebook and Google. It kind of sounds like that's not enough. You know, pre-pandemic, I guess Zoom wasn't really that well-known of a company. I mean, I think they pretty much just became big because all of a sudden everybody had to work from home and so... People were looking for solutions to more easily do that. And Zoom happened to be one of those apps that just sort of became popular right at the beginning of the pandemic, right? So uh, this whole thing with Zoom bombing and all of these other security and privacy-related 
issues that were discovered with Zoom, I think all sort of came about in part because of this massive public spotlight on the company that just happened all of a sudden. They had a comparatively small team compared to now, probably relatively few developers, and they hadn't really been thinking about it as much as perhaps they could have from a security and privacy perspective. So once all this focus came on Zoom, now they really had to up their game. And so um, one of the things besides lying about encryption and the other thing that they're getting in trouble for is they were sending data to Facebook and Google. And so they say that they've since removed the Facebook SDK and they are, yes, sharing some valuable user data with Google via their uh, analytics uh, software development kit. You know, like they're they're trying to move in the right direction. They're trying to become like more security and privacy focused. And this this whole lawsuit is based on them having done a lot of things that they probably shouldn't have done. The proposed settlement is that Zoom users would be able to get 15 or 25 bucks a piece. So it's not exactly like it's a ton of money for each user of Zoom. No, but the lawyers get 25% of the $85 million, so <laughs> there's that. Yeah. Okay. There's something new on the Apple website today, isn't there? Yeah. Well, sort of. <laughs> it, it, it's You could look at it as something new. You could also look at it as a reversion to a, a previous era of Apple.com. Yes, there is now a store button on the top in the navigation bar. Because Apple's website is essentially a store, isn't it? Yeah. They used to have a nice big store tab on the top of Apple.com. And so it was really, really easy if you wanted to go shopping at Apple and you knew already what you wanted to get. All you had to do was go to that store, pick what you wanted, and you were ready to go. And Apple decided to change that. So now you had to go into the product that you were interested in purchasing and then from there, you could add it, add something to a cart. But they didn't really just have like a store area of the site, which kind of made it awkward sometimes if all you wanted to do was buy an accessory. Now you had to figure out uh, where on the site do I have to go to find that particular accessory? Very confusing. And so I think that's ultimately why Apple decided to change things back. Well, also now they have they have a carousel with a bunch of blocks like buy a Mac or iPad for university, get AirPods. Stickouts, these are MagSafe accessories. Blast Pass Fast, these are iPhones. Customize your memory storage, even color for the new iMac. So this is a way of seeing what's new without going to the main Apple page where you have this big thing for iPhone, you have to scroll down all over. I, I find it makes a little bit more sense that it looks more like a store and the previous Apple website didn't. Now I'm going to speculate. I've always found it annoying that whenever Apple announced new products, they would take the store offline for usually about six or eight hours minimum. And I'm going to speculate that this fall, when we see the new iPhone and other new products, the store is going to stay up while the product pages are taken down. Yeah, I kind of wonder if Apple is making this change in part because of that. Maybe they want to redesign their site so that it's a little bit more, I don't know if modular is necessarily the right word, but a little bit easier to to spin up and take down sections of their site. So if they're updating a particular thing, it doesn't impact other areas of the site as much. Because that is a good point. Before, you had the product page as being the direct way that you get to the store. 
And now maybe splitting those things off will be a little bit better as far as downtimes. I don't know if it's going to completely eliminate downtimes when they're doing an event like that. They might still bring something down for a period of time, but at least they don't have to bring down as much of the site. Maybe that was part of their goal, too. Well, it doesn't seem to make sense. If all they're releasing is an iPhone, maybe iPhone cases and accessories, that the entire store goes down, that you can't order an iMac or an iPad or a cable or anything else. It just doesn't make sense. It does seem... Right, right. That does seem a bit odd because, I mean, you wouldn't see – I can't imagine Amazon taking down their entire store because they're yeah. updating their line of Kindles. Yeah. Like, that would be insane. Okay, so we have often mentioned that it's possible to come across websites that are pretending to be others that can make us think that there are other websites. And it seems that the Brave.com website was serving up malware – there's an article on Ars Technica with help from Google, impersonated Brave.com website pushes malware. What happened here, Josh? So Brave, of course, is a browser that is a competitor to Google Chrome and other browsers. And Brave.com, the website itself is perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that site. You won't find malware there. However, what was happening was that Google was allowing some malicious software makers, some malware makers, to put these advertisements that looked like they were going to a particular website, but then when you actually clicked on that ad, it would take you to something that looked like Brave.com. But what was different about this website was that the E in Brave actually has a little um, uh, character above it, so it's not, it's not an actual lowercase e character. It's a different character. Sometimes this is called puny code. This is, uh, in this case, the actual domain was xn hyphen hyphen brav hyphen yva.com, but it appears in the browser as brave.com with a little dot above the e. So this is one of those weird things where browsers will interpret domains in such a way that if you have special characters, that they'll show up with the way that they're quote unquote supposed to with those special characters. There are legitimate websites that may want to use Punicode uh, because these would be uh, usually websites with uh, domains in other languages. And the problem is that, of course, if you have a traditional Latin character set minus, you know, one letter being different, now you can have one of these XN hyphen hyphen something weird domains that looks like a regular domain that you would just type in like brave.com. So they were tricking people into thinking they were on the actual Brave website and then they were downloading malware. It was a problem with partly with Google Ads and partly with the way that browsers were representing this domain that wasn't really brave. What can browsers do to protect us from this? Because I'm sitting far enough from my iMac that I probably wouldn't notice if there was a little diacritical over one of the letters, right? On a phone, it might be different, and it also depends on how the URL is displayed by the browser. But this looks like this is something that the browser should be able to not warn us about, but there should be some sort of some sort of flag that the, the domain name that you're seeing might not be what you're seeing. I mean, this whole Punicode idea is a little bit strange to start with, but this looks like this is just easy to exploit. Yeah, and fortunately it is. And this is something where it really does depend on your browser. And some in some cases, you can set your browser to not 
translate these puny code domains. Um, I know, for example, in Firefox, there's a setting for this. And different browsers may have different defaults on how they handle this. But as long as they've got a way for you to choose whether it's going to display puny code you know, sort of translated or not, then you have a way to sort of get around this. And by the way, this Ars Technica article that we'll link to in the show notes, Martin Gruten is a security researcher, and he he found that there were a whole bunch of other domains, popular domains that had a spoofed equivalent, that somebody had actually registered something that looked like, for example, flightsimulator.com, but changed that I character. And so there's a lot of domains that are very similar to this. And so this is something that you should be aware of. And regarding that, how to fix this puny code issue, again, it does depend on your browser. I think what I'll do is after we finish recording the show, I'll try this out in a bunch of different browsers and and I'll, I'll put up a short article on Intego.com that explains what the defaults are for various browsers. And if you can change it in a particular browser, how to do so. Okay, one more bit of news from two weeks ago. DuckDuckGo is going to have a new service that they call email protection. If you send emails with this, it will strip all the trackers from the emails. The kind of trackers you get in emails are generally invisible pixels. And they're used because companies send out mass emails and want to know how many people have opened the emails. And when you load an email with an invisible pixel, it sends a message to the server that says, hey, this pixel was loaded. So they know that you've seen the email. They don't know that you've read it. They know that you've at least seen it. And this is something that is, it's definitely time to get rid of it. On the other hand, there are valid companies who send email messages and do want to know how many people read them. Intego sends out an email newsletter. You kind of want to know how many people read the emails and open the emails. And if you have no way of knowing that, you won't know as much about your readers and what they like and what emails they want to read, right? Well, that's true. And there's there's this balance, right? There's, you know, users want privacy. Um, companies want visibility into, um, you know, what links are getting clicked and, and what people are, are interested in when they load their emails. And so if you if you have a, uh, a company that you have a legitimate business relationship with, maybe a company that you, you've bought software from or, uh, you know, a company that you have created an account with a long time ago, maybe it's a retail company. Maybe you do want to to get emails from them that have potentially advertisements um, related to some of the products that they sell or things like that. Um, it may not be a big deal. Um, but what DuckDuckGo is offering here is a, a new email protection service, they call. But basically what it does is it just gives you a, a new address that you can use when you sign up for services. So if you know you don't want a company to be able to track you when they send you emails, what you can do is you can register for an at duck.com email address. And then you can set set up that duck address to forward to your normal email address. And so the idea is they're supposed to be stripping out all the tracking stuff, but still giving you the contents of the email. So this is sort of like an in-between, right? If if you don't want a throwaway email account that you're never really going to use, um, you do want to maybe receive emails from a company, but you don't want them to be able to track you when you view those emails or click on links. Um, that that's what this service seems to be for. It's kind of a funny in-between, but it seems like it, there could be some potential good uses here. This sounds like a type of feature that all email clients and services should have. 
On the Mac and on iOS, you can choose to not load images in your emails because that way it'll keep these trackers from being loaded. But at some point you may want to see the images. So if you click the button to show all the images, everything gets loaded. You can't just load a single image because you don't know what it is to load it. But this seems like something that Apple should be doing in the future, this sort of removing trackers and emails. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because there is, of course, Apple's hide my email um, service, which uh, is sort of similar in concept um, in, in the sense that you don't have to give out your real email address to companies when you sign up for an account. This is a little bit different from that. Um, you're you're still giving them a special email address in, in this case, but rather than it being unique like it is with Apple's hide my email with duck.com, you would you pick an address that you always want to give out to these to, to companies whenever you want to have tracking stripped. So it's just another option. Um, it's not bad. I mean, I, I don't mind that, that DuckDuckGo is doing a service like this. It's creative. It's interesting. And they, and they do say that, by the way, that they do not keep any of your emails. They just forward it to your regular address and they delete it immediately. So that all sounds good. DuckDuckGo is known as a privacy-focused company, primarily for their search engine. So it's kind of cool to see them doing a service like this. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about iCloud Private Relay, which is going to be available in macOS Monterey and iOS 15. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware. And much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. So iCloud Private Relay is a new feature that's going to be available in macOS Monterey and iOS 15, iPadOS 15. It's not a free feature. This is one of the first features that we're getting in Apple's new iCloud Plus. We were wondering before the show what else Apple's going to add to iCloud Plus. For now, it's going to include iCloud Private Relay and HomeKit Secure Video. Now, you will have an iCloud Plus account if you pay for iCloud storage. Even if you pay a buck to get 50 gigs to be able to back up your devices and have more room for photos, you will be able to use iCloud Private Relay. I kind of think there's going to be more features because if they've already branded iCloud Plus, then it suggests there's going to be more. It's almost surprising that it's only a dollar a month to get this feature and whatever others. I can't imagine them having different price tiers that, okay, if you get the 50 gigs, it's a dollar a month, you get this. If you get the 200 gigs, it's $3 a month, you get additional features. That's not an Apple-like thing. I was just going to say, that would be very un-Apple-like to make it extra complicated like that. So I I do like that 
you know, if, if you're paying for any tier of this, you get all the extra benefits. That's a really cool thing. Right. And so I've, I've been looking at the public beta of macOS Monterey and iOS 15. When you go into the system preferences iCloud pane, you'll see iCloud private relay, and you'll see a little button that tells you to upgrade. In my case, remember, this is still in beta, so this isn't the final version. I click the button and it automatically showed that I had it because I have a paid iCloud account. I'd pay the $3 a month for 200 gigabytes. iCloud private relay is a pretty simple service on the user side. You only have one option, this is for your IP address location. You can either choose to maintain your general location. So if you're ordering pizza and you want to know where the pizzerias are, you do this. Apple has divided the world into a bunch of general locations, which are relatively small. In other words, close enough to find the local pizzeria, but not too close that they can find where you are. So using the general location means that no one can find exactly where you are, but you will get that localized information. If you want to be more anonymous, you can choose to use country and time zone, and all Apple sends servers is the country you're in and the time zone, which are both important things for them to know. The country for geolocalization for accessing certain types of content, and the time zone, so, well, basically they know what time it is where you are. Yeah, I've always been really curious about these sort of general location services. So I, I'm really curious to see like how closely it can potentially identify where you are. Because I, I like the idea of, okay, well, I just want to see like what stores are nearby me. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the app that I'm using right now uh, or the website that I'm using right now needs to know my precise location, which is kind of scary. Like I don't, because if they have your precise location and let's say you're at home or you're at work, now they know your exact home address because your GPS coordinates can be used to determine your exact address where you are right now. So that's a little creepy. I don't really like that very much. So I do like the idea of being able to to broaden this a little bit. So the general location here is what Apple called approximate location when they announced iOS 14. So this already exists in iOS 14. This isn't new in the next version. What Apple has done is divided the Earth into a number of regions, each approximately 10 square miles in size. Each region is a fixed area, and it's got a name, at least a name for Apple, and these boundaries aren't going to change, and this is how they can indicate a general location. Now, 10 square miles in size isn't that big. It's two miles by five, it's three miles by three, more or less. That is close enough for a pizzeria. Right, yeah, that that's actually perfect. And, and I like that because, you know, an alternative way you could potentially do something like this is to sort of like pinpoint your location and then look at a radius around you. But I feel like that gives maybe a little bit too much um, information about where you are. And so this this is a clever way of doing that. Just divide the world into relatively small grids. Now, just to, as an aside, have we ever talked about what three words on the podcast? What three words? I don't know if we have. Do you know what what three words is? Or is this new to you? No. No, I don't think I've heard of it. This is a company that's come up with an idea that you can localize people anywhere in the world using three words. Okay. And as we've talked about passwords with random three-word combinations, what they've done is they've created three-word combinations for every place on the Earth. And the locations are very small. So I'm just clicking my mouse on a map here, Plot Beast Loads, and they have dots in between them, or Overruns Vampire Gourmet. So sometimes you get some good serendipity in the names of the words. So the entire world is split up into these little zones, 
And you could use this to tell someone how to find you, hmm. right? You never heard about this. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Kind of interesting. Yeah. What? So what? What three? It's the number three. What three words? Dot com. When I went to that site, it defaulted me to clip.apples.leap, which says it's near New York City, New York. And it's a little grid, a little tiny square that's part of New York City Hall. Right. If you zoom in a lot, you'll see the, the how small the grid is. And what's interesting is, I, I believe it's 10 meters by 10 meters. So if you zoom in enough on your home, you'll find that your home has a number of these three words locations. So you could have, say, the living room is one three word location and the bedroom is another one, et cetera. Um, by the way, I think where this is really valuable is that if you've ever tried to look at GPS coordinates, like it's pretty difficult to memorize GPS coordinates. It's just a string of a lot of numbers. That's where what three words could come in really handy. Anyway, that was an aside. We should discuss this at some point because I, I find this an interesting way to just remember your location. It's easy to just write down the three words that correspond to where you were. You just look it up here and you find the location. Anyway, let's talk about how iCloud Private Relay works. I have an article on the Intego Mac Security blog, how to use iCloud Private Relay. And I put a screenshot on the top from Apple's developer presentation in June showing that it goes from the client device to the network to the ingress proxy to the egress proxy to the server. Now, what's important is that space between the ingress proxy and the egress proxy. Apple runs the ingress proxy. I don't know why they just didn't say in and out because ingress and egress sound too fancy. So Apple runs that proxy and they strip a bunch of information and pass it on to the next proxy, which is run by companies, big companies like Cloudflare and Akamai and Fastly. And the second proxy sends the information to the server, but doesn't know who you are. So there's been a randomization between that ingress proxy and egress proxy. The data comes back and that separation between the two proxies is like a Chinese wall. What's on one side doesn't know what's on the other side. The idea behind this is is pretty clever. It's it's not exactly the same thing as VPN, which we've talked about a little bit before. We have an article on the Mac Security blog if you want to know more about how a VPN compares with a with a proxy service like iCloud Private Relay. There are some similarities, but there's also some important key differences too. But it's kind of clever the way that Apple has set this up. Rather than just immediately forwarding you to one of these you know, third-party services like Cloudflare, they're the in-between proxy. And so that, that way Apple can sort of make sure that they're, you know, stripping out any information about you before passing it along to a third party because of course you trust apple more than you trust any other company right because apple cares about your privacy okay so in order to use this you just basically turn it on in your device now as josh said this is very different from a vpn because it only works with safari with certain dns services and some apps will be available to use this Apple did have a developer presentation in June telling developers how to integrate this in their apps. And I think some app developers will use this as a security feature. But by default, you're not very well protected across your devices. If only your browsing benefits from this private relay, then any other app that you're using is going to automatically be able to track you and store more information about you. So this is probably a good idea. If Once you get macOS Monterey or iOS or iPadOS 15, uh, you don't have to rush out and get the betas right now. You can wait until the, the official public release. It's probably 
better to do that <laughs> anyway, just because it's a little safer, uh, especially if you're talking about potentially using these on your daily driver systems. It's better to wait until after they've been out and and more people have had a chance to use them and work out. Uh, Apple's had a, more of an opportunity to work out some of the bugs and things. But, um, you know, it's definitely, I think, worth enabling this this feature, especially if you don't use a VPN. At least you're getting a little a little something um, to sort of help protect your your privacy a little bit more than you would otherwise. So um, definitely worth turning this on. Now, just so you're aware, there have been uh, some people who have been using the betas have reported that there are some kind of. Uh, funny conflicts that you might experience with sometimes other software. A lot of people made the assumption that this was really only going to apply to Safari. That's what it seemed like from Apple's presentation. And some people have found that, at least so far, it seems to be affecting other software too. For example, Slack. A lot of people use that for chatting. Um, and there are other apps that may also be affected. That may just be a bug that Apple's going to work out um, before the final version of this is released. So definitely, I, I would suggest that if you're already using the beta, go ahead and try out this feature and see if it works well for you. Um, otherwise, I would just wait <laughs> until until it's been out for a little while, uh, general release, and then and then try it out and see if it if it, if uh, if you like this feature. Okay, that's enough for this week. Until next week, episode two hundred. Stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.